please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Beloved, if you have your Bibles, let's please turn to Matthew chapter 21. It's good to bring your Bibles. I know you've got your bulletins in front of you, but if you have your Bible, you can see uh, how our text this morning is, is situated. That is to say the context, which is all important here as Jesus, having entered Jerusalem in his last week of his earthly ministry, is now engaged in dispute. He is engaging uh, some folks there having authority in Israel that do not receive, do not understand Jesus' teaching, uh, Jesus' mission. They are in disagreement. And so we need to take a look at that and keep that in mind as we look at this text. And so uh, this morning we will consider Matthew 21 and verses 28 through 32. I'll begin reading, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have another, I trust it will be a good translation as well. Matthew 28, Jesus says, this is to his enemies in front of his disciples. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said to the same. And he said, he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds. And believe him. This far reading in God's holy, inerrant word. Let's pray. Lord, we would uh, we would shut our mouths as we see so much dis- disrespect and so much disruption in your ministry and challenge of your person. Uh, our moral frame is is likely to see much harm condemn these Pharisees and scribes. But Lord, we, we are guilty of the same. We, we question you. We don't understand your will. We don't. Your ways are far different than our ways, your thoughts and our thoughts. Help us then to relate this to this passage as, as you would have us to relate. And grant us your spirit, your spirit freely and send forth your light and your truth and into the sanctuary and fill us, Lord, with your presence again, Uh, but renew our minds, strengthen our wills, and give us this love of the truth that we might know your will and trust you in in all things as the consummate authority in heaven and earth. For you are worthy, Lord, for all our worship and all our obedience and all of our trust. Abide with your church, Lord, through this sermon and preaching, we pray in Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you may have been plagued with difficult medical symptoms. Some cases are easy. You go to a doctor, even a family practitioner, and you'll be able to say, oh, you've got, a, you've got an infection that's a mild one. If Here's a prescribed course of, of antibiotics. You should be fine. Others tend to um, puzzle 
the best of doctors and your symptoms linger. And even if you go to a good doctor, sometimes he will misdiagnose you. And he will uh, recommend treatment and you are no better. The worst thing that can happen, of course, is if the doctor only treats you just superficially. He treats your symptoms without really concern uh, concerning the, the root cause. And if you don't get to the root cause, there could be some real trouble ahead for you. So you have your good doctors, and you, you have uh, discerning doctors, and you have best practices in medicine. Uh, but the aim is always to do no harm to the patient and to, again, get to the root of what is really going on here. Well, why, why is Jesus in this passage comparing Israel to two sons? Uh, there just seems to be a whole lot of religion here going on in it. A lot of well-meaning people, and they're reading the scriptures. They're attending, uh, after all, they're in Jerusalem, the holy city. They're attending those temple services. Everything on the outside looks good. Everything looks to be an, a well-ordered people before God. So what, why, why, is, why is this contention, why this conflict with the Lord Jesus? And uh, what is happening here is because the nation did not receive the testimony of John the Baptist. And that is to say the nation is represented by its leaders. Uh, because because they, they went to the Jordan, they, saw, they looked around, they saw it was curious, they saw many sinners coming. But as for themselves, they couldn't identify with what John was, was prophesying. He was saying that all must turn from their wicked ways and they must turn to God. And furthermore, he said that they are to await the near presence of the one appointed. John was a messenger making the way for Messiah, the Lamb of God. And he did indicate that Jesus was the one that was expected, not himself, but Jesus, the coming one. And he is the one that is to must, uh, must increase, and he himself, John the Baptist, must decrease. My friend, that's, that's the root cause of what's going on here, and it's, and it's throughout the whole thread of Matthew. Uh, we've seen various, uh, we've seen Jesus in various situations and various teachings, and he's, he's a master, master doctor, and he's getting to the root cause of the issue. And the root cause of the issue is that the people uh, do not understand that they have a deadly, deadly disease. And all of this zeal for religion in the name of Jehovah is only addressing outward symptoms and is not getting to the tap root. And if the tap root is not excised, if that sin is not covered by the blood of the Lamb that John the Baptist has been uh, telling about, if, we, if one does not see the, the need for the Lamb and the covering of the blood, they will never turn to God. And they will certainly not make room in their hearts for the Messiah who's come uh, in the name of the Lord. He is to be their righteousness. He is to be the true Israel. He is to be the Son of God, the King, issuing in the very kingdom promised to Israel since the beginning. Jesus is qualified. Jesus is qualified as the doctor. Uh, meaning in the Latin, of course, the teacher of Israel, he's the doctor, he leads. Doctors lead, and that's, and that's how they help. They lead people to solutions. Jesus is leading Israel. 
but not all are, are on board. And the question then becomes, again, as I said before, procedural. They don't want to challenge his Bible knowledge because it's a little bit futile. It's a bit like one of us turning up our, our, our laptops to a maximum chess setting, you know, grandmaster. If you can get a, a chess set program that'll play you at 2400 level, I, I don't know. I, I don't hardly know a soul here that can beat those, those intelligent machines anymore. Jesus is just not going to be able to be defeated when it comes to Bible, true Bible knowledge, true Bible knowledge and true conviction. The teaching here is this as follows then. Uh, if you receive the authority as a doctor, see, if you receive the authority of Jesus, you, you will repent and you'll enter the kingdom. You'll believe in him as the authority and then you will repent according to his teaching and you'll enter. But if you do not, do not receive his authority, you will only give feigned obedience to the will of God. Only an outward, a feigned obedience, not sincere from the heart. And as such, you will never enter the kingdom. Again, I'll just repeat it. If you receive the authority of Jesus, you'll believe in him. You'll receive him as that authority of God. And you will repent and enter then the kingdom you're in through faith. But if you do not receive his authority, you only will give feigned obedience to the will of God. And you will never enter the kingdom. Just three points this morning, rather quickly. Let me just establish here first that Jesus has authority. He commands you and he commands everyone. He commands everyone to enter his kingdom as we saw in our call to worship. The Lord summons the whole earth before him. All right. So we, we see here that John the Baptist had authority to preach repentance. The scribes didn't want to go public and repudiate that. To, to, uh, they didn't want to argue that in public because it was evident to everyone that John the Baptist was a holy man and that he was preaching the kingdom with authority. Many in Israel had believed John, and many had acknowledged his ministry and went unto to be baptized. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not because they never saw the need. They never felt the need. In other words, uh, it would be, it'd be absurd to offer them some service or some benefit that they didn't think they need because they already had it. If you have a good car, there's no salesman in the world that's going to convince you that you need something else. You're very happy with your car. It works nice. It's paid for. The Pharisees and Sadducees never, never saw any need for personal repentance. But that was, that was the task John was, was given by, by heaven. His authority came, again, from no school, even though he was a son of, in the priestly line. Uh, he had some credentials by, by, by his blood lineage. Uh, nevertheless, John came by the will of, of heaven, Malachi predicting his, uh, his coming in, in his chapter 4. But John merely prepared the way for Jesus. John prepared the way for a brand new covenant, the new covenant in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus then has authority to preach like John. And he's preaching the same message as John. Uh, uh, you know, particulars change, but in essence, John preached law and gospel. Jesus preaches law and gospel, but a law uh, under the gospel. That is to say, beginning with the New Testament, we see there are commandments for us. We rehearse those commandments 
uh, every Sunday morning. And uh, those laws teach us what our duty is, how God wants us to walk. Nevertheless, that is under a covenant of grace that's being offered. It's being offered to the people as a covenant of grace. But Jesus has authority then, the same authority as John the Baptist. And he just continue, uh, com, com, now commences his ministry, as it were, seamlessly uh, following John. Jesus has demonstrated his character. This is uh, beyond reproach, unimpeachable. His teaching, which is impeccable and with clarity. And uh, his, uh, his preaching, how he lays in. Uh, it's one thing to teach, to give people the knowledge of what the Word says. It's another thing to preach and help them to understand how that, how that preaching fits into their time and their place. Uh, really, without uh, that application, there really is no preaching at all. Because people need to be helped, as our children need to be helped, uh, to, to discern. And the, the, the laying in of practical knowledge is wisdom. And that's what's required uh, in preaching, a practical laying in of the understanding. And Jesus was a master preacher, as well as a master teacher. And he affirmed everything he did, of course, with miracles. Why were the miracles there? Well, because to help the people of God to see that this indeed is confirmed by heaven because no man can do these signs without the approval of heaven. No, no lepers have ever been cleansed in Israel. The blind from birth have never been healed. Now, I, this man uh, does all things well. And so... Jesus has authority, and he's demonstrated in character, in teaching, preaching, and miracles. And besides, John the Baptist had testified to Jesus being the coming one. And so in the popular mind, already people were, were very well uh, uh, situated to receive Jesus and his word, all of his authority, because they had received the authority of John. Now, the high priests and the scribes, of course, they challenged Jesus' authority. Yeah, from the very beginning, because... They had not received the message of John. Well, why didn't they receive the message of John? As difficult as it is to, to believe this, the reason they did not receive John is they, hadn't, they, didn't re, they didn't believe Moses. They had never believed the word of God. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. But they had misread everything, and they had misapplied everything. And it's not the words in your head. It's the understanding of the Word of God that is of help to you, and it's practical application in your lives by the wisdom of the grace of the Holy Spirit. That is a lively religion. It was there in the Old Testament. It is here in the New Testament. Now, my friends, if Jesus had not had this authority to command God's people, and you follow him blindly, simply because he sounds uh, to, have, to, to, to be having a very good moral theology or something like that, then, my friends, you, you, you've been baited into a false religion. The whole issue of Jesus and, and the Christian life revolves around his authority. Does he have consummate authority to do such things as, uh, as, as explain the, the, the real duties of, of the Sabbath and things like that, the real intent behind the law Thou shalt not kill, and the Sermon on the Mount, hating your brother, things like that. Loving your enemies, uh, forgiving your enemies, turning the other cheek. Either he has that authority, and you have believed the will of God, or you are following a mere man. And we must never do that. 
that is highly, highly uh, uh, disrespectful of the Lord God in heaven. Uh, and so, my friends, you, you must be ready to give an account why you believe in Jesus. Uh, it's not just a matter of believing in Jesus, but why have you followed? Why have you invested and trusted your immortal soul on this one? And one of the reasons I'm helping you with this this morning is, well, because he seems to have all authority in heaven and earth, even before he says so in Matthew 28. He, he commands the waves, and, they, and they're still the wind, and they're quiet. You're convinced. He is the son of David, and he is the son of God. Now, if you believe Jesus for who he really is, then, then you're really, they're blessed. If you see the divinity of this man, as well as the humanity of this man, these two natures of one person, you, you have been given the gift of faith and granted repentance. Now, my friends, if you haven't, again, here's the admonition. You need to close with Jesus. You need to see if there's, these claims of his authority are true. Questions. Because if I leave you a question, then I've gotten into your head. Or rather, the Holy Spirit and his word have gotten into your head. And then you read. Which of these sons describes me? Where am I in this picture? Because there's only two kinds of pictures, especially to a, a covenanted people. I'm talking about a people who is under regular attendance, uh, under the, the word of God, under some kind of authority. Well, it's not that. You're going to tell a doctor by his questioning that you have cancer. Now, here we go. There are only two possible responses. And the point here, really, you do that by trusting him by, through faith. Uh, that is to say, acknowledging that you are in great need uh, because you are vile and your sins disqualify you in every way from eternal life, from friendship and communion, fellowship with, with God. And so you, you believe that he is the good doctor and he has the remedy, and you gladly turn from all that is hurtful to your nature and to the nature of, of all creation you know, in new ways. Not, not perfectly yet, because we, we yet have much sin and we, we glorify it when Jesus returns. But the commandment under the New Testament is live. You dry bones, you dry, you dry sinews, they are rotting on the surface of a desert wilderness. You've been long dead in sins and trespasses. And Jesus, by the breath of his uh, spirits, comes in, in, over you and says, live. And the bones come together, and the sinews come together, and the body is fleshed. And now you are drawing a breath, and you are able now to walk again. You live. The covenant of work says, do this, and you will live. But the new covenant says, live. Because I've given you life, now do this. And that's why Jesus has come. Jesus then answers the question of his authority in two parables. And I, again, the beauty of this is he, uh, his own enemies are going to uh, speak the answer. Uh, and, and as such, they will know that they are without excuse. And if you go through this, you will know one or the other. And you will certainly know that in the end of time, you really have nothing else to say to the Lord because he's given you this portrait of what goes, what goes on in your life. Jesus answered the question of his, of his own authority uh, by the mouths of the Pharisees and scribes in two parables. Uh, the disputes are 
immediately before us about the parable of the two sons. But then we have also coming the parable of the tenants. And the two are very, very similar and they're related. And they deal with the ultimate rejection or acceptance of the kingdom of God and especially the king. And so we have a parable here. And there are only two responses to Jesus' command. Now, a command to enter the kingdom, of course, is law. Uh, but, uh, of course, and if we have law, and this, this law is difficult because he's asking something that if you do not recognize his voice, you have really nothing to point to except your memory, what the scriptures have already said and prophesied of about the coming Messiah, and see how the, his character, his miracles, his ministry, his teaching align with the word. Because there's nothing physical to be heard or nothing in the commandment itself, in this new commandment, to indicate that this should be done. It's a distinguishing of the voice of God in a prophetic word. All right? And so these two sons handle this prophetic word differently. First of all, you have a sinful and rebellious son. And uh, these, these will, uh, are, are in trouble. They're notorious sinners. They have been grossly un, uh, uh, unfaithful to God in a public covenanted church. We're speaking now of the Jews who were covenanted under God, which makes their sin a thousand times worse than if they were mere pagans who had never had the prophecies and the promises and uh, all of the teachings. Okay? Uh, so these are the, the most notorious people on earth, tax collectors, and prostitutes are called out. And this is great sin. This is great sin. But this is actually the case of the publicans and uh, the prostitutes. And they will say, uh, these prostitutes and, and, and uh, the tax collectors will say, no, no, this is not for me. I hear all of this. It doesn't interest me. I don't have any taste for this. I don't like your lifestyle. I don't like to be, this is my life, and uh, I will live it as I please. But this rebellious son in this, in this parable, uh, lo and behold, afterwards he changes his mind. And he goes and he does the will of his father. He goes and works in the vineyard. And then on the other hand, you have another son. And this one yields formal obedience, external obedience. Now, the law has much more to do than mere outward conformity. And this is the most, this is, again, a very difficult thing. If you don't have the Spirit of God, and if the Spirit of God does not convince you of the spiritual nature of the commandments, you will deal with the, the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments and the moral law, merely topically. And all your neighbors are convinced you're a good guy. And everybody around you who looks at you, your work, oh no, he's a, he's a good worker, he's a fine contributor, he's, he seems to listen, everyone likes this fellow. But the commandments reach far deeper. What I'm saying is external conformity to the Ten Commandments, by that measure, the Apostle Paul said, before he was converted, that he outranked them all. He, did, he was doing great. He thought he was righteous. And furthermore, I'm convinced that if we had one of these even in our own congregation, I would not, believe, I would not be able to tell that he was not a true son of God. By outward conformity, 
because they appear to be whitewashed tombs. They look lovely. Green lawn, brilliant white stone. Everything's in order. But what do we got down below? We've got rotted bones and flesh and defilement. We've got death. Death is below the externals. Sinful, formal obedience. And that without repentance. That with a, with a will that insists that they have no need for repentance because I am just fine. Who needs the Lamb of God? Who needs this fella? We've got the temple. I subscribe weekly, if not daily there. I'm in there with my prayers. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm not as that publican over there in the corner. Scoundrel. The leaders had seen these amazing changes. Uh, you talk with anybody in the health field, you know how difficult it is to take a vile person. And, and now, whereas before he was a thief, now he's, he's liberal and giving money to the poor. Before, he, he was, he was uh, unfaithful to his family, and now he's protective of his wife and, and very careful about his purity in every way. Before, he was a liar, a vicious liar. And now he abhors lies. Before, he was a malcontent. And now he's cheerful. And he's, and he, and he's thankful to God in all things. What, what can make for such a tremendous change? The Pharisees and the Sadducees should have known by the scriptures that this is what is called repentance. But never having experienced this, they were at a loss to explain the whole phenomenon. The leaders then would not enter, these Pharisees and the Sadducees. They would not enter because of unbelief and because of unrepentance. They had a form of godliness but they denied the resurrection power, the recreation power of God to change lives. And in the end, this son who said, I will, sir, very politely, you know that? It could be translated, Lord, I, I will, sir, or what? He's speaking very, very politely to his, to his father. And yet, my friends, in his heart, he's rebelling. He hates his father. He will not honor his father's request. He is his own authority. That's the problem here. The son does not recognize the authority of the father. And when we disobey God's appointed authority, whether it be a teacher in a classroom or our parents, we show ourselves to be very rebellious son, especially if we have, if we have the, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, uh, outward sneakiness. It's hypocrisy. We, we, we're, we're expert. We become expert in deception and hypocrisy. And then at the end, they don't do the will of his father, of the authority. Now, formal religion, I said, is very difficult to discern. But that's the exercise of every Christian. And that's the exercise in every sermon. Every sermon should lay out the will of God such that mere outward conformity is not sufficient, or especially mere acceptance of the doctrine and the understanding of the doctrine. Oh, man, you're very far removed from what God wants you to do. God has you look in a mirror and you see two sons. He wants you to see where you are. And he's doing that not to shame you, 
but to prepare you in every way because this is an opportunity. The kingdom of God is before you. And if you miss here, what are you left with? You're left with the flesh. You're left with the world. A Christless hell. That's the default. And there are no other options. Former religion is something very difficult to discern. But here's the thing. Jesus, the doctor, has more than MRI and X-ray. Jesus is the doctor, discerns hearts. And he, not ministers, not your Bible teachers, not, not your Sunday school teachers, but Jesus knows your hearts. And, and he's working your hearts right now. He's seeing how you relate to his will in this assembly. The angels can't do that. The angels will only be able to tell the elect and the non-elect the last. To them, it looks like one field, but there's wheat and there's tares. I'm not saying that infallibly. I don't know what we have here. But typically, the church is filled with wheat and tares. Know then that you are up against consummate authority in the Lord Jesus. And a mere external, yes, I will, I vow to submit to the authority of the session and joining the church. Yes, I, I, I promise to pursue the peace and the holiness. You take these vows. I will, I will, I will. And then you spurn the will of God. And you will, you will not be instructed. You think you know more than Moses, Daniel, and Hosea all together. This, this is rebellion. And this is hatred of God. And you will find yourself in, in the line with the hypocrites who have had external religion polished like a gemstone looking great but at the core is rottenness. Finally, we have our third point here, that Jesus offers you the greatest encouragement to enter the kingdom. And I need to give you very great encouragement because I just laid things out for you very, very plainly about the danger of going on in carnality without being born again, without being a true son of God by faith in the Lord Jesus. But he gives all those that are stricken by the word of God, all those that are that, that would fret, oh, no, I'm not good enough. Well, my friend, that's the point he's, he wants you to know. He wants you to make sure that you know that you do not qualify for this eternal inheritance by any stretch of your imagination. There's no equity in it. An infallible, infinite holiness of God, which would not admit the least ray of darkness or sin before him. He judges the heavens above and finds error in his angels. I just read in, I think, Job 4, is it? Good. How? And yet he offers you the greatest encouragement because he says notorious sinners are not disqualified. Notorious sinners, they're not beyond the reach of the gospel. They're not beyond the reach of the kingdom. They're not beyond the reach of Christ. Notorious sinners are welcome. And the Lord will embrace you if you will see who he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the authority concerning your defiled soul, your polluted state and death and sin and all rottenness, and especially your heart that will not incline to God. When he sees that you are through with that, that you begin to hate this sin and hate yourself even, for having beguiled your own soul 
and jeopardize your eternal well-being, what kind of a rat would do that? Yourself. That's the kind of rat that we have to be watchful. You're your own worst enemy. Notorious sinners, though, are welcome. There's nothing to keep you from the blessing of God. Every sin, every, on all kinds of sin, every degree of sin will be forgiven except one. I don't need to preach that yet. It's already been preached in another, in another sermon. All of this, and not only that, not only will you be clear and, recon and reconciled to God, but he will impute to you all the goodness of his merits, of his righteousness. And through union in Christ, you will have his life and his beating heart. Uh, and it's, it's one organism under the head, Christ. And you know that the heart of God is to love, God the Father is to love the Lord Jesus and everything about him. And if you are necessarily joined spiritually to him, that he loves you well beyond a love of benevolence. He's, he's kind to all creatures, God is. But this is the love of complacency where he's easy in his, God the Father is easy in his living room. You step in, he offers you his best chair in an ottoman and say, would you like, would you like a drink? Because he's easy with you. It's a love of complacency. All this can be yours. And the reason he'll take you into that living room and give you his best chair in ottoman is that you are now adopted into the kingdom. And having this adoption, you have the seals of righteousness which cannot be broken. And you are his eternally. It's an eternal kingdom, all benefits ensuing. A kingdom of love and righteousness, a kingdom of light and glory, a kingdom of friendship, a kingdom that is offered to you freely, without charge, without charge. Now, after studying Jesus, after taking a good hard look at this, at this book of Matthew, which we've been here for several months, only self-righteousness and a dogged rebellion and unbelief can exclude you from entering the kingdom. That's the only thing. The Lord, the Lord has made these teachings plain. And that's why he puts the question into the mind of the Pharisees. What do you think? You know? What do you think about these two guys? Who, who, who really did the will? Ah, oh, well. It's the former one, the one that was rebellious. And they answered their own questions and they saw the implications of that in the lives of notorious sinners that had repented. If you judge yourself unworthy, oh no, my sins are too great. You seem to be trumping an authority greater than the Lord Jesus. He's telling you the truth. He's saying this kingdom has its gates in and they're wide open. And you may enter in freely. But if you, if you say, well, I, not on those terms, well, then on what authority do you base your terms? Where, what notions are you, how did you get this thinking? How did you arrive at this? Did you arrive at it through studying the prophets? These, things, these prophets were tried. You know, if they erred at one point, they were stoned. <laughs> you, you've got to be able to trust these guys. Besides, the Lord Father affirmed that all of them were true, and that all of his words, not one dropped, all were fulfilled in Christ. Do you have a, a greater wisdom than, than the Lord Jesus? Do you think that you can live a better life than a life that Christ would have for you in his kingdom? This world, as Luther said, with devils filled 
that threatens to undo you at every turn? This world filled with vanity? You start business ventures, you, you lay out a great prospect, it fails. Why? You went to the best Ivy League school. It's vanity. There's, there's vanity everywhere. There's entropy ready to eat up every bit of cartilage in your knees. Your joints hurt. You're falling apart. And is this the only life? Is this the only kingdom, the kingdom, the darkened kingdom of the fallen sons of men? Is this what you love? Or do you have some better option? Jesus is wise and Jesus is good. Jesus is merciful. And if you dismiss Jesus casually or with prejudice, as these scribes and Pharisees would, you make him out to be a liar or incompetent. Or maybe he's just tricky. He's trying to trick me. He's trying to cheat me. Because Satan said, if I eat of the fruit of this tree, I'll have both knowledge of good and evil. And that's got to be a better knowledge base than just of good. Oh. And then you're sunk. The barb is in. It's not coming out. You dismiss Jesus as a liar or incompetent. It's great blasphemy. Well, what greater encouragement, though, can you, can you have than to enter this kingdom now? Jesus is even offering this kingdom to the scribes and the Pharisees. They're still, he's still with them. What's, what's holding these guys back? He, he's being as merciful and as kind and asking questions of them. He wants to come. Let's reason together. Enter. Because today is the day of salvation. We don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. We don't have all these massive, frigid snowstorms and strange phenomena out west. If you don't think that some strange phenomena might just inundate us, then you've forgotten Harvey here. Strange things, strange things happen under God's providence and his sovereignty. You have today, in fact, you have this minute, you have maybe this next breath as the Lord has apportioned it to you. Today is the day of salvation. Enter. Enter. You have every reason to. Even, even if you have been extremely rebellious. Or worse, if you fooled mom and pop, if you fooled all your Sunday school teachers, and you fooled your wife, and you're getting away with all kinds of things, but you're a hypocrite. And you know it. You know you don't love God. If that's you, you need to close with the Lord Jesus. He's saying, look in the mirror. Which of these sons are you? And if you do, repent. Know for certain that all the angels of heaven will know it, and they see it, and they all rejoice. And the Father himself will give you his best robe, his signet ring. He will slaughter the fattened calf, and he'll welcome you into his, his house in a banquet. To summarize, then, if you receive the authority of Jesus, that you will repent according to his word and enter the kingdom. But if you do not receive the authority of Jesus, you will only give feigned obedience. And as such, you will never enter. You'll never enter as long as you're doing things externally and by pretense. My friends, I commend you the gospel, the whole gospel, not just the, the snippets that we read here in our daily devotions. Read through, sit down, take an afternoon, Read through, see the whole tenor of what's going on from John the Baptist in the prediction of the coming of the Lamb of God, and finally, his full display of glory is last week, his death, his burial, his resurrection, 
and then his being given all authority in heaven and earth. Go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And lo, Jesus is a teacher that's always with his, his church. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Be sure that you had not given your, your soul over to some man, a mere man who is deceiving you, but be convinced of his authority, the very authority of God. He deserves all glory and honor. Repent and obediently enter the kingdom by faith. Are you resting in Christ alone for salvation? If you're, if you're resting in Christ alone as your only righteousness and salvation, then you've understood the gospel. But if you're trusting in any way to any merit or a mixing of his grace with some good works, then you are still, while well, you're not understanding the purity of the gospel, your, your soul may not be at peace. You may not have comfort in the love of God and his addresses to you as a son and not a slave. But in, but in the worst case, you could still be under the broken covenant of works under Adam. And as such, the broken covenant of Adam will drive you powerfully into religion. And there are 4,200 religions in the world today. And most of them are very arduous. And they require quite a bit of their disciples and followers. And everybody looks nice on market day. And everybody looks great in the classroom. But they're the walking dead. Because Jesus knows the heart. Jesus knows the heart. And the heart is wicked above all else. And no one can understand this. Only the Lord can read our hearts. And if he's gracious to convict us of sin and grant us the grace to return from sin and to give him the glory as the Savior, then we do very well by it. That's the way to escape from under the, the clasp, the, dom the dominion of the law, the broken law of the covenant of works in Adam and come under the new headship, not of Adam, but of Christ, the covenant of grace a covenant of peace, where there's still law, but a law as a flashlight onto your path, and you might see better and walk with the Lord humbly, doing mercy and justice. Now, my friends, those who are friends of Christ know what it is to have fellowship with Christ. And we have before us a table here that is the very emblem of friendship with God, Father, and Holy Spirit. This is a table for those who profess not just a knowledge, but an experiential fellowship. That is to say, they know that their sins are remitted because God is faithful, because God is true, because they've seen change, and other people have seen change. I was blind, but now I see. No, it's night and day. It's black and white. You're a new creature. All things are past. And, with, and if you will take time and ask the Lord to please examine your heart and beg him to reveal if this is you in, in either camp, I can't see the Lord either fooling you or not answering that prayer. Well, that's called preparing yourself for the Lord's table. And millions go by without doing that, just looking in the mirror and saying, oh, what a, why don't I look great for Sunday? I like that tie, yeah. But if you know you're hemorrhaging, you know you have cancer, spiritual cancer. You know you've tried every doctor. You've tried all manner 
but you know that Jesus is the cure. Even though he has not cured you completely, he is already overlooking your sin under his blood, forgiving you and giving you hope. And what is hope but ongoing faith? Faith that endures trial. It's a, hope is a movie of faith in action, in time. And you're clinging to a hope, a hope of final glory, a hope of, of righteousness, a hope of, of seeing God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll see God. If that is your hope, my friends, this is your table. And Jesus is your friend because he's your doctor and you're his patient and you love his care. He is the cure. But he is the obedient son and he is the savior and king who allows all penitents that would trust him and turn to him into his kingdom. Let's pray. Well, let's not pray. Let's call the elders first and we'll celebrate the table and then we'll pray. How's that? to understand, my friends, that the, uh, the preached word is, is really no different in, uh, in, its, in its design than the sacrament. It's no different. The word preached gives you sac uh, the Lord Jesus. Rightly preached, you get Jesus applied to your soul and his benefits. This table, what does it do? It gives you Jesus. All of his benefits. Uh, all of the benefits of, of his salvation. So everything that, that I've just said upstairs applies downstairs on the table. And I've already, in a sense, cordoned off this table. I've fenced it. So you might know the terms of your worthiness to come forward. And so all I'll do today is remind you, this table is for the Christians. Christians are people that are baptized into the visible body, normally. I mean, that's just ordinary. Ordinarily, Christians are known because they're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is commanded by Jesus, Matthew 28. That means they've left the dominion of sin and darkness, and they, they, they now follow the Lord Jesus under a new government. There's a new world order coming, and it's all under the Lord. His kingdom, His eternal kingdom. So you've been baptized, you've made profession, and you gladly are partaking of the Lord's ordinances on a regular basis. Whether you remember or not, and I, I do adjure you to seek membership in a formal way because vows are important and they help us. They help us remember the important things of life. That's, that's why we do this. But anyway, if you qualify, this table is yours. And Christ gives himself to you, not in a better way, uh, but in a new way, under his blood and body, which is the consummation of all that the prophets had ever said in the Old Testament. And you are saying, I understand. All the men that God has sent us, these holy prophets, I agree with them. And especially with John the Baptist, he, he really got it right. And uh, the Lord Jesus is an amen to John the Baptist. And here he gives himself to you, the blood of the Lamb that was slain on your behalf, lovingly slain 
that you might be acceptable to God by virtue of his death. He dies that you might live. That's the beauty of the atonement and of his substitutionary death on the cross. So I'll just read from 1 Corinthians 11, which is my habit, and then we'll ask the Lord to bless Paul says to the Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that, on the, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Very important. Here you're, you're serving forth a prophetic office in the church by taking angels see that you are proclaiming. You see your neighbor proclaiming the Lord's death and that he rules until he returns. Whoever then eats the, drink, the, the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, superstitiously, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and, and ill, and some of you are, uh, have already died. Some have died. But if we had judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Lord, we... We hear these, these, words of, these words of caution, but we also hear you entreating, warmly welcoming the remembrance of your love to your friends at the upper room. And we are, our Lord, commanded in a very sweet way to hold forth your blood as precious to us, to ourselves, and your body as broken in our place. We pray, Lord, that we would enter into this sweet communion of friendship with God in a new way by grace in this ordinance and help us to believe that you are here to help us and to comfort us and to gird us with new strength. Help us not to partake vainly or superstitiously or even ceremonially and only externally. But we pray this would be a spiritual exercise, even as our hearts we know are yours. Bless Lord, this bread, sanctify it to your honor in the sacrament. Bless this wine. We pray you would again distinguish it from all other wines in the world. But this wine is the very blood of our precious Lord, the blood that takes away, the blood that remits sin, the blood of our peace. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
On that last night in which he was betrayed, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus was with his friends, his disciples in the upper room at the table. And he took bread and he broke the bread. And he said to his friends, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you eat this bread, you think of me, remember me. Mm-hmm. 